This meeting will now come to order. Madam Clerk, please read the chamber evacuation announcement. Yes, sir. The evacuation announcement goes as follows. Upon activation of the emergency alarm signal, all persons should immediately exit the building. Please use the exits to the left or right front of the council chambers or the east or west stairwell outside the rear doors of the chamber. Do not use elevators or escalators. After exiting the building, proceed to the assembly area located in the parking lot bordered by Clay, 8th and 9th Streets. Citizens and employees should assist visually and hearing impaired visitors with exiting the building. Would you like for me to also read the citizen comment script? Yes, ma'am. The citizen speaker script goes as follows. Citizens wishing to speak during public hearings and or public comment period are generally allowed three minutes to speak. Persons appearing before the committee are not allowed to campaign for public office, promote private business ventures, use language of a personal nature which insults or demeans any person, including comments directed at public officials or staff members that are not related to their official duties, or address or question staff members directly. All questions are to be directed to the committee chair. Failure to adhere to the guidelines may result in speakers forfeiting any remaining time and further disciplinary action as necessary, which could include barring from attendance at future meetings of the committee for a period of six months. And also, I would like to state that adhering to council's rules and procedures, all those in attendance should be seated at this time. Thank you, Madam Clerk. Let's move on to the approval of the minutes. Yes, sir. The minutes for approval are from the organizational development meeting of Monday, June the 4th at 5 p.m. If there are no corrections or amendments to the minutes, they can stand approved as presented. Any questions on those? Looks like none, Madam Clerk. Those will be approved as submitted. Thank you. Okay, let's move on to consider appointments and reappointments to boards. Your packet is before you. And in the packet, there are two reappointments. The first reappointment application is for Glenn Hudson, and he is asking to be reappointed to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund Oversight Board. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry here. Say that again, Madam Clerk. I'm sorry? Can you, the reappointments to boards and commissions... The, appointments. the first is a reappointment to the Affordable Housing Trust Fund Oversight Board for Glenn Hudson. Okay. And are there any other uh, applicants for this vacancy? No, sir. Okay. Does any uh, member have a question, concern about that? Anyone uh, like to make a, a motion on that one? So moved, Mr. President. Second. Second. All right. Great. Any, uh, all right, so let's move that one on. Or any objection to uh, Mr. Hudson? We'll move that forward, uh, Madam Clerk, with a recommendation for approval. Yes, sir. The next uh, recommendation is for the Audit Committee, and the member for reappointment is Roger Boev. Okay, he's a current uh, chair of the committee, somebody that's done a very good job, in my opinion. Uh, any other uh, applicants? I don't believe there are. 
No, sir. There are no other applicants. Okay, great. All right, any discussion on this? Mr. Addison. I was just going to say uh, I support his commitment to sharing his expertise as a former, I guess, C-suite financial person with PFG and sharing that with our audit committee has been a well welcomed attribute. So I'd like to appreciate him staying in that position. Okay, great. Great. Any other comments, concerns? Uh, any of, uh, let's see, do I have a motion? So moved, Mr. Chair. If, if, if I could just, y yes, I, I just want to make just, just one basic point that, uh, you know, with our boards and commissions, just making sure that we have fair representation throughout the city. So if we have uh, representatives from the 9th District, 8th District, that it's not just one particular area that individuals are coming from, I think that's important. Um, and not, not looking at the, the, the specifics of each particular one. Uh, I just want to, I just think that is something worthy of consideration to make sure that we're uh, broadening the voice uh, uh, and the scope of uh, each of our committees. Thank you, Thank Mr. President. Thank you. There's a motion on the floor from uh, Vice President Newbill. I'll right? second it, sir. Okay, great. Any objections? All right, we'll move that nomination forward with a recommendation of approval. Yes, sir. All right, are there any any further recommend or excuse me, boards of commission appointments? No, sir. Okay, great. Um, now let's move on to, uh, I'm sorry, just one second. We could uh, move to the discussion item and uh, Council uh, Brand, uh, VCU, Kelly O'Keefe. The f item in front of us that will be discussed is the Council's Brand with Kelly O'Keefe of VCU, Brand Center Managing Director. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm grateful for your service and grateful for the opportunity to talk a little bit about the service that our students at the Brand Center provide and what we hope to be able to help uh, City Council with. Um, if you'll just uh, advance along with uh, my words, we can go to the next slide. And I'd like to start just by um, taking this opportunity to make sure everyone knows about the VCU Brand Center and what we do here in the community. It is the number one ranked graduate advertising program in the United States, uh, ranked by both the American Association of Advertising Agencies and Creativity Magazine as the best. We graduate uh, 100 students each year. And um, if we go to the next slide, uh, by the time they've graduated, uh, they have worked with uh, companies that you know well, like Coca-Cola, Nike, Apple, Lexus, Audi, uh, all of those hire our students and all of those come to the city of uh, Richmond during the course of the year to work with us on projects. If we go to the next slide, I want to talk about just a few of those projects uh, that you may not know much about the Brand Center, but I'm certain that you know our work. We work with Venture Richmond to create the RVA logo that is now uh, all over the city, including, I'm very thrilled to, to say, on trash trucks, thanks to the city and the mayor's support. On the next slide, 
We work to rebrand the Valentine Museum and create a logo and a new way of telling their story to attract more attendance. On the next slide, we work with Crime Sweep, a partnership of uh, Richmond Police, um, VCU Police, the FBI, and 13 law enforcement agencies that help to target high-risk crime areas of the city um, and reduce crime in those areas. And I'm happy to say that the, the students who worked on that project and volunteered their time all received um, a special award from the city department, uh, uh, city police department for that work. On the next page, we worked on reinventing the Massey Cancer Center's um, uh, crowdsourced fundraising program, now called the Massey Movement. On the next page, uh, we branded Side by Side Richmond, formerly Roseme, a shelter for LGBT youth that are bullied at school or at home. On the next page, we rebranded Virginia Humanities and helped them to expand their programs. And on the next page, we did the same for Richmond Symphony. Uh, so if you see the new work, the new branding, the new website, that came from our students. And on the next page, Out RVA, a program to attract LGBT tourism to the city of Richmond in partnership with Richmond Tourism, which has been so successful it's been the uh, subject of many national articles. On the next page... Uh, the ICA, I'm sure you're all familiar with this great new asset, which we branded uh, for the city of Richmond. And on the next page, uh, Boys Home of Virginia, which helps uh, at-risk youth. And on the next page, uh, this is just announced last week, the rebranding of uh, Virginia Spirits, a program that helps to create a thriving craft spirit industry, just as we now have a thriving Virginia wine industry and a craft beer industry. And on the next page, Tricycle Gardens, um, rebranding. And on the next page, uh, the rebranding, or I should say the branding, of Reynolds Culinary Institute and several other projects on the east end of Richmond that are going to contribute to the revitalization of that part of the community. So if we go one more, um, oh, and uh, we are, uh, have also worked with Richmond Tourism on a pro program that will be launched next year to promote uh, African-American tourism to the city of Richmond. If we go to the next page, I, I just want to make a comment that all of the projects that you have just seen, which have shaped this city in positive ways, were done by students at the VCU Brand Center as part of their voluntary efforts to try and help make city a better place. And they're good, they're talented, and their work has been surprisingly effective. So when we were asked to help the city council with their own branding, uh, we gratefully accepted uh, the challenge. And our hope is to, to solve several problems at once. We want to redesign for higher impact for the brand of the Richmond City Council so that it is a progressive, impactful organization, and it's seen that way in the community. We want greater recognition for the council, um, and that's what brands do, is to help organizations be recognized. We also want to promote greater consistency uh, so that all of the materials and communications coming from the city council have more of a common thread to them to increase recognition, and that also speaks to much greater efficiency to the extent that we don't have to redesign every new 
um, brochure or piece of material from scratch. We will save cost. And then finally, we want to create flexibility. And it may seem odd to say that you want to get consistency and flexibility in the same project. But if you think of that RVA logo, which you can actually see on, on that picture of your website, that logo is a great example of how you can create consistency and flexibility at the same time. Because as you know, you might see that logo in hundreds of different configurations, and yet the logo always looks the same, and it connects the dots between multiple different programs and organizations. So it is our hope to be able to embark on that as soon as we're back in, in session at the end of August. And um, I'd love to take any questions that you might have. Hearing none, thank you very much. No, I have a question. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, Mr. Jones. Yes, sir. First of all, thank you for your... Uh, for your presentation, uh, love talking about branding and things of that nature. Uh, appreciate uh, a lot of the work that you've done. Loved uh, uh, what you did with VCU and uh, their their new building there. Um, in your opinion, what's the greatest challenge in rebranding city council? In your opinion, I, I think it's twofold. I, I think you want to have something that is iconic enough to be readily recognized. Um, but the challenge, the greater challenge to get there is to make sure that you have a process that's inclusive, that listens to everyone, that makes sure we understand the way that you use the branding and the image that you want to create in the community. Um, so one side is, in some ways, the easier side, which is getting a great brand. But you don't have a great, great brand unless it reflects what people think and what they care about. A good example of that actually is the uh, project we did for Reynolds out on the East End because that's an, a very important community in Richmond. And the students who worked on that went into the barber shops and they went into the community meetings and they talked to people who had lived in those neighborhoods for a long time to make sure we, we really heard what was important about that community and captured it in the new branding. Thank you, Mr. Jones, uh, Madam Vice President, and then Ms. Gray. Yes. So um, great that you mentioned the East End. I wanted to thank you for the work that you and the students have done with the market at 25th Street as well as the Culinary Institute. Um, the community felt engaged. Uh, the recommendations for the market that will capture internally as well as the name, the history of the community, folks are really excited about. And so I uh, want to say thank you. Uh, for the East End, but thank you for what you're doing across our city footprint that makes a difference in um, engaging folks and helping them to understand uh, what the nature and scope of projects are. So it's been pretty extraordinary for us recently there, but certainly the work across the city speaks for itself, and just wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you very much. It's it's an honor for me to be able to work on it, and for our students, it's very helpful to them to see that they can use their talents to help the communities that they live in. Very good. Any further uh, comment, Ms. Gray? So, um, I'm, it's unrelated, but um, was in your presentation. Where can I find out more information about the project on the African American tourism, and how can I get involved? 
Um, it, it's a project that we're doing in partnership with Richmond Tourism. There isn't any public information available about it yet because we have yet to release uh, the work. Uh, but you can contact uh, Richmond Department of Tourism. They have a great committee working on that. Uh, we're, we're meeting again in the fall. And, uh, or, or you can uh, contact me at the Brand Center, and I'd be happy to provide some information about what we've done thus far. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Ms. Gray. Any other uh, comments? Thank you, sir. We really you. appreciate your time and look forward to your results. Thank you very much. See here, we're going to go back to uh, reports from city administration, update on the pulse and new bus stops from uh, David Green and Amy Inman. Good evening, Mr. President. I'm Carrie Rose Pace, the Director of Communications for GRTC. I am here on behalf of GRTC CEO David Green. Thank you all for having me. I have seen many of your faces aboard the Pulse and aboard our new routes over the last week. It has been incredible, and I just want to start off by saying thank you to everyone here and anyone who may be in the community watching or listening tonight because the response has been overwhelmingly positive, and we are incredibly grateful for the engagement of the community. So I'm here tonight to give you a quick update and recap what's happened over the last week. Thank you, Ms. Bowles, for going through for me. This is the Pulse route, and this is the new spine of the transit system that for the city of Richmond was completely redesigned, so I don't want that to be lost in my presentation this evening. This is twofold. We launched our first bus rapid transit service in the city and simultaneously updated every single route within the city of Richmond so that we could take the greatest, fullest advantage of this new spine and make the whole transit body healthy. So what's the spine? And then we'll talk about the rest of the body. The spine is the Pulse. It's high quality, high capacity, rapid transit service. It provides a lot of the same benefits of a light rail or a train or a trolley, except using a bus. It's certainly a more affordable way to build and then operate and maintain. You see that we stop at key destinations all along the way and that we're running about every 10 to 15 minutes during the day. And thanks to your support, we are able to operate even later at night, 11.30 p.m. to 1 a.m. every 30 minutes. On Monday, just a week ago, we had the ribbon cutting for the Pulse, and some of our guest speakers included Governor Northam as well as Mayor Stoney. These are photos taken while they were speaking, but on the far left you can see the full list. We had Virginia Secretary of Transportation Shannon Valentine served as the MC of the event. Uh, we also had representatives from the FTA that came into town, including the executive director, Matthew Welbus, who spoke. He was, just for your point of reference, one of the top-level folks at the FTA who reviewed the Tiger application back in 2014 when it came across his desk, and he was so excited to be with us a week ago because he his fingerprints were on this project, and he was excited to see it come to fruition. We also had our partners from Henrico County represented by Chairman Frank Thornton, and GRTC's board chairman Gary Armstrong was also there, and I do want to acknowledge that there were several council members present at the ribbon cutting as well. That's a photo of the ribbon cutting itself as they were getting ready. And on the left, if you haven't heard, we were very busy over the last week welcoming so many people aboard. 
on our first day, which was Sunday, June 24th, our goal was about 1,600 riders. We had over 6,200 on opening day. On Monday, typical goal ridership would be 3,500 riders. We had almost 8,700. And for perspective, these numbers are similar to what a light rail system would be operating, like down the tide in Hampton Roads. But we did it on a BRT. On Tuesday, we were down just a little, just under 8,000 riders, but again, still well exceeding the goal of 3,500. And the same story on Wednesday. We are still number crunching Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, which was the full breadth of the free ride week from Sunday to Saturday, which applied not just to the Pults, but to all routes. The city of Richmond provided the funding to cover free rides on all of the city's routes, including its express route, the Stony Point Express, so that that removed, first of all, the financial barrier, and it also gave assurance so that our riders who are trying out the new system, trying to understand how to use it, didn't have to worry about their fare. They could hop on and off, and they could explore. The only route that was not included was the King's Dominion Express, and I will also mention that all of the other routes GRTC operates in other jurisdictions were covered, not by the city, but by the Commonwealth of Virginia. The first thing that I want to make sure everyone's aware of is that this project isn't just about the bus or buses. This was about improving the safety and use of this corridor for everybody. One of the things that you have noticed and that I have seen people using, thank goodness, are the new pedestrian crossings, whether they're at a station as depicted on the left or going north-south across Broad or Main Street at different locations. And this was part of the important public feedback that we heard from 2015 all the way up until the end to make sure that we provided safe pedestrian and improved pedestrian access points whether somebody was getting on the bus or not. General station safety, we are asking everyone to please use basically common sense. Don't jump from the platform. Don't climb on any of the steel or the glass. And don't skateboard on or through the stations. How you get to a median station is just as easy as crossing the street halfway. You're going to a signalized pedestrian crosswalk and you will go halfway and then enter the Americans with Disabilities Act ADA accessible ramp up and onto the platform. I will say that the median stations we built at signalized intersections so that people could safely access them. We do not want people trying to jaywalk or come down the median other than anywhere that we have clearly marked. The button that's on the right is if you're at a station and you've just gotten off the pulse, maybe you got to chatting with a friend and you missed your pedestrian crossing, you're not trapped there for the next 10 or 15 minutes. You can push the button and request the right to get out of the median and back to the sidewalk. We are also talking about multimodal connectivity, which is extremely important to the success and the overall health of the system and for the city. We have seen tremendous response from cyclists in the community, both using the RVA bike share and connecting with the Pults, because there are docks conveniently located near many of the Pult stations, and I'm looking forward to seeing some of their data over the past week. But we've also seen in many cases, all three of the bike storage locations on the front of the Pults bus being utilized at a time. 
And we know now, after a week, where people are connecting on and off with their bikes from our bus operators telling us, you know, they're full here or they're parking here, they're, they're connecting there. So we, we already know where some of the places are that are going to be the most popular for bike connectivity and where we may need to look at even more bike parking in the future. Yesterday and today were the first days that our riders were paying to ride the Pults. And this was the first time that you could fully transact with a ticket vending machine. Last week we had all the ticket vending machines on so that you could play with it, but you didn't need to pay because it was free. We accept credit and debit. We do not take your PIN number, though. It's your zip code. Cash coin, and this is the first time that we're able to issue you change, which was another important thing from our riders who may not have exact fare, but they, that 50 cents may be really important to them. If it's a buck 50 and they have $2 bills, they can get 50 cents back. That was really important to offer. All passes that are issued from the ticket vending machines are active upon being issued. So don't go up and buy all your passes for the month because they're going to pop out activated. Uh, you can, of course, purchase the day, the seven-day, and the 30-day passes from the ticket vending machine. You can also tap and activate any of your other passes that you may have, including e-pass for employees that participate in the program, the U-pass for our university students, including VCU, and the University of Richmond, and all of our unlimited ride passes, which are, of course, still for sale from many area vendors like Kroger, CVS, Ride Finders, right on Main Street. A week ago, we also debuted mobile payment for the first time. So you can download our free GRTC mobile pass app and set up the credit card of your choice, and you can purchase unlimited ride passes. Don't activate them until you're ready to ride, but you can buy them in advance and store them on your phone. And when you're ready to ride, you'll just click on it. It'll say, are you really sure you want to activate this pass? And then it'll let you ride. Of course, the Pulse, because it is under the local fare structure, is free to ride if you're under our care program, if you have an ADA card, then you can ride the Pulse for free just like you do all of the other local routes. Our fare enforcement inspectors are out riding this week and checking fares since we are collecting fares. They, this is in compliance with state code and they are there to primarily help customers. That's their first goal is customer service. Make sure people know how to pay for their fares, help them at the ticket vending machine if they need assistance but they do have the authority to issue uh, warnings if necessary. And that's not all. So now let's start talking about beyond the spine. What also happened a week ago was the entirely new city of Richmond network. And the power of this is because it's like a clock. There are consistent schedules all day. So if your bus is coming once an hour or once every 30 minutes or once every 15 minutes, you know it's going to do that all day. And that frequency means that it's easier to plan your day and make quick connections between connecting routes. There's also much better weekend service now than what we had in the old network. So this Saturday was the first time that many people in the city could have service at a level that they were used to on a weekday. And there are more connection points across the city so that you don't have to necessarily come downtown. Now we do on at night after 7 p.m. and on Sundays still require a well-timed connection. I do not expect you to be able to read this map. I just want you to see the colors if you haven't seen it yet. This is based on that clock. So a red line means that a bus is coming every 15 minutes. A blue line means a bus is coming every 30 minutes. And a green line means once an hour. What's notable about this is that you're going to see 
a number of north, south, and east, west main arteries. Consider these your limbs that are connecting to that spine that are, in many cases, reconnecting bus routes that were previously severed. So in the past, more than a week ago, if you lived up at Chamberlain and Azalea, but you needed to get to critical services at Southside Plaza area, you would have to ride on the 37, go downtown, and then connect on any of the 60s to get you to Southside Plaza. That was $1.75. But now a bus is coming every 15 minutes for a buck fifty, one seat ride all the way from north side to south side. And I will also mention that this is the first time that you're seeing if we could transpose the old network with the same kind of color coding, it's the first time you're seeing red lines south of the James River. The first time. So that is significantly improved service for south side. And you also see that we're still maintaining the balance that council directed, which is providing that 70% of the routes and the, and the money going to frequency, but also still covering who needs to be covered. You'll still see some of those nook and cranny routes, like the 87 that's going to go into some of the neighborhood south side that need that help because Jeff Davis is too far and you need to get into those neighborhoods. Or you're going to see some new routes uh, on Southside that are connecting to and from Southside Plaza and getting you greater coverage. Belt, Bells, uh, Walmsley, these are all locations that you're going to see uh, there be coverage routes. And you also see that in the West End. Uh, Grove, Patterson also providing some coverage and also uh, heading out a little bit farther into Henrico County. There was no change to the Chesterfield service as a result of this, but there were some Henrico County route adjustments, and I will call to attention one in particular. So the city of Richmond advocated for a new route called the Route 8, which is a route that goes from downtown Richmond up Nine Mile through the east end and just over the county line so that it can reach the new Walmart at Nine Mile and Laburnum. And that was something that the city advocated for and received Henrico County permission to ensure that at night and on weekends, we still have a way, a direct route, for those who live near the Route 8 off of Nine Mile to get out of the city and to that grocery store until the new one is open in the East End. Pretty good. Another one that I'll mention is a red route you'll see here as the routes are coming through downtown during the day is the Route 5 because it goes right outside City Hall. The right, Route 5 is another 15-minute route that goes from the Whitcomb and Mosby neighborhoods. It's a one-seat ride to all of the employment centers, the Social Security office on Cary, and all of the grocery stores that are on Main and Cary in Carytown. Again, a one-seat ride for $1.50 or $0.75 on reduced fare. So downtown, the map looks very different than what it did a little over a week ago. You're going to see that there are more opportunities to connect where anywhere that the lines cross each other, particularly where the red lines cross, so that you can make quick connections. The Pulse is, of course, your lime green line going on broad and down 14th to Main. Now at night, after 7 o'clock, and also on weekends, you'll see on the next couple of slides, the red is gone, except on the Pulse, of course, we're still running every 15 minutes. But the frequencies have dropped down, still consistent, but they've dropped down to every 30 minutes. And we're still making use of well-timed connections for our customers at the Temporary Transfer Plaza, which currently resides just north of City Hall. What's next? This was a lot, but we're not finished. The most important thing that we can hear from our customers right now and from the community is what do they think? Write it. Take notes. 
practice different ways of getting to and from point A to point B because there are usually more than one right answer. There's usually more than one right answer. It just depends on what works for you as the individual rider. Are you able to walk a couple of extra blocks and catch a frequent bus route? Or do you really need that bus to still come as close to your front door as possible. That's what the kind of feedback that we need to hear from GRTC's perspective so that we can, first of all, make sure that we're staying within that guideline of 70% for frequency, 30% for coverage, and then make sure that as we get ready for the next fiscal year proposal that we're still allocating those resources where the community needs them. Now, I will draw your attention to uh, three routes that are currently open for public comment already, and that's the Route 50, which operates on Broad Street in between Willow Lawn and the DMV Drive area, the 76 and the 77, which are also west and routes uh, that are servicing the Grove and Patterson areas. And what we had a little over a couple weeks ago was a public meeting asking for public feedback about what happens to these routes and we want to know from the public, are there places where you want bus stops to be on Broad or Patterson or Grove, particularly at the end of the line, which is currently DMV Drive in between the Science Museum area and the DMV headquarters. We want to hear. Um, we've already heard some feedback from the community about what they would like. So far, again, it's still open for public comment until July 20th. Uh, one public feedback that we've heard is perhaps take the 50, which comes every 30 minutes, and extend it a little bit farther, perhaps, to the Kroger on Lombardi. That's some feedback that we've heard. Others on the 76 and 77 are more interested in, in increasing the frequency of their routes. So this is the type of public feedback that we're hearing. And again, this public comment period is still open until July 20th. We'll continue to go through the regular public process and any, impl any implementation of whatever the approved changes would be, is not expected until winter. Another service expansion that's happening this fall, I do want to bring it up because we do know that jurisdictional lines are not necessarily something that stops a bus rider from going from one side of town to the other. And in Henrico County, they will be expanding their service to match and mirror some of what the city has been doing for a long time, which is providing weekend service and night service. So this is a significant expansion that's happening in Henrico County to pair up better with the rest of the network that the city has in place uh, on three main routes, including the seven, which is the nine mile, which will now operate in the fall on seven days a week. It will go on Monday through Saturday till 11 p.m., again, mirroring more of some of the city's late night service, and then on Sundays from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m., and then the other route that connects to the Pults is the 19. And the 19 is, a, is currently an express bus in Henrico County for $2, but it will go every 30 minutes all the way out to Short Pump beginning this fall. And that's something that we heard during the public process with the city uh, from city residents that, that that was something important to them, and Henrico heard that as well. The other piece that's also very important is as we've let the network be in place, we're going to see where transfer activity is happening and where we're getting requests for bus stop amenities. That's another important piece for public feedback is to let us know where do you need a bench, a shelter, a kiosk, more information, whatever it is in the field that you need, we want to hear about it. My contact information is on the left if you have any questions. If you have Pulse BRT-specific questions, I've also provided my, my right arm, Ashley Mason, her contact information is there. 
I thank you all so much for your time. And I do want to thank also, before I wrap up, city staff who have been incredible with making sure that the launch was as successful as it could be, including that we had the resources in the field to help our writers adjust. We've had outreach ambassadors in the field. We've had extended customer service hours. We're open right now till 1130 at night to help people. And we open at 430 in the morning. And we've had travel buddies that were offered, which is a very personal one-on-one -on -one experience before we even launched the service. Those were three key initiatives that came as a result of the city's support and the city staff involvement. And I do want to acknowledge that, and thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Vice President Newbill. Uh, Ms. Carrie Rose, uh, I just want to say thank you. I'd like to say thank you and congratulations. Um, I had the opportunity way many months ago to ride many times with residents in my district who wanted to look at the options, the opportunities, make sure the connections, and every time. I don't remember exactly how many there were, but thank you for indulging us as well as the community meetings to get feedback way in advance of this so that it could be responsive mm -hmm. to the needs of the riders who, for whom this is the primary mode of transportation. So I want to say thank you. It was a lot, but you all rallied, and uh, I think it, it is demonstrated in the product uh, that you heard, folks. I really appreciate that you're continuing to listen mm -hmm. to uh, residents uh, and riders throughout our um, road from Rockets to Woolon and back and talk to folks the entire time to get feedback. And so some of the things you're addressing and raised um, were also raised by uh, riders. I'll ride the rest of the routes as well so that I can have benefit of that feedback and um, direct that back to our point person, Amy Inman, Correct. Uh, and uh, make sure that we get that to you. But I just really want to thank you for your responsiveness uh, uh, way in advance of the launch, and then congratulations on the launch. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Any other questions, uh, Mr. Addison and then Ms. Gray? Uh, thank you, Council President. Um, Carrie, I appreciate your presentation. I know there's been a, a long journey getting to this point, and it's exciting to see the embracing of this new route and all the other new network plans around the city. And um, having written it just last night, uh, the most recent trip I had, um, it was actually great seeing um, the driver step up in the middle of one of the routes just to make sure everyone under, on the bus knew the changes and expectations uh, for that stop. And it was actually the stop just further um, west of here. And it was great to see that level of, um, I guess, engagement and concern to make sure no one was confused. And he fielded several questions um, from the, the riders. That was great to see. Um, but I think I appreciate that. I think that goes to show you how much this is getting all the way down to everybody mm -hmm. possible to make sure we're doing the best job. So I know there could be some bumps along the way. This is going to be a big change for a lot of people. But I do appreciate your continued um, engagement to make sure that anyone who has concerns, issues, or challenges about the, the ratio of the 70-30 split yes. um, between frequency and um, proximity and access um, is going to be part of this. It is a changing environment. I'm excited to see that we have actually the ability of working collaboratively to see what changes we might need to do. Um, but I think this is a great, bold step in the right direction, and I know there's many more to come. But thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Thank you. Uh, Ms. Gray. Okay, so um, I'm, no one's more excited 
to have this construction stop and the pulse running because um, it's really been a long time coming, but it's it's all positive um, about the professionalism of the bus drivers and their willingness to assist people who are a little bit confused about new routes. They've been I've been getting really positive feedback on that. Um, there were some unintended consequences of bus routes. There's one, and I don't know the number, forgive me, but I just got a message from someone who I don't even think they know we're talking about this tonight, but she sent me a message, and um, she said, it's very exciting to see the Pulse up and running and also to see other upgrades to GRTC and the routes. But there has been an unintended consequence in front of the Richmond Arc Um, She goes on to say, there are several employees with disabilities who rely on GRTC to get to work. Now they have to leave early to catch a bus a few blocks away. If they miss that bus, they have to walk to Broad Street, which is more than a mile away. Um, As you know, our folks have challenges that are even greater when combined with extreme heat and cold, and they're wondering if there's any way to get the stop back or get it closer to where it was because they're physically challenged and um, medically fragile. So if that's something that perhaps I can um, send them an update on, that would be helpful. Um, And I do have a couple of other um, comments, and I want to shout out, um, he probably can't shout out because we're not being publicized tonight, but Ryan Wren um, stepped up and made benches at Second and Broad, but we probably need to get some benches installed there. They saw children sitting on the sidewalk, and... um, ran a couple of benches over there um, that they made. And they look nice, but... I've seen them. Yeah. <laughs> so um, this community's really stepping up with the new stops. And um, the other comments that I've been getting are about the maps, because the maps are rather confusing, If because typically on transit, the maps align with where the stops are going, but these are like a real map. Mm-hmm where you're east and you're west or, you know, east and west. But if you're standing at a platform looking at the map, it appears that west you'd be headed east and that east you're headed west. And you would it would lead you to get on the wrong route, go in the wrong direction. Um, another complaint that I got was that it actually said Willowlawn was east and on the map, and that Rockets was West End. So um, several of the map locations have confusing information. Um, And I can give you all, I know a couple of them you've gone out to check, but I can forward you more of the comments because I'm still getting them about that. Um, And my final question, do we have counts for yesterday the first paid day of ridership that would give us an indication of how successful this has been. We don't have the numbers yet. Those vehicles were are going to be pulled their computer tomorrow morning. Uh, it's actually overnight tonight. And we'll start to process that data tomorrow morning, and that will include the chunk from Thursday of last week that I didn't have ridership for all the way through today. Great. And does that get posted, or can you email it? And let yes. us know where. I will continue to post it. I'm posting it on our Twitter account as soon as I get it verified. And then I will also continue to share it. Great. And, and is there, I know that 
someone said there's an app when people are having a hard time trying to find route information, mm-hmm. that there's an app that can be downloaded. That's correct. GRTC has a free app. We also issued a pretty significant update on Sunday a week ago in response to feedback that we've received over the last few years. Uh, the biggest change is that when you launch the app, it's map-based, which is what a lot of us are now used to whenever we're trying to use a transit or a Google Maps type of feature to type in point A to point B. And it's GPS-located if you permit your GPS to be tracked, and it will automatically load your location and show you any bus stops that are nearby. And then just like Google, you can tap and click on it and see what what that stop is, which buses are coming, how soon they're coming. You can see a map and see where those physical buses are and track them. So it's just a little bit more user-friendly. Now this is version A of the improvement, so we really want people to play with it and try and not break it, but tell us all the things that we can do better uh, so that it will be more intuitive because, we, that, yes, that's it, so that we can make sure that the next iteration, which should be coming uh, this now fiscal year, that we can make it even better. But the map alone and the interactive features there were a significant step forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Angelastow. President, thank you. Um, thank you, Ms. Uh, Pace, for the information and all the work to get to here. I know it's been years in the making, and uh, I can't tell you how many meetings we've had together in the district. So. Uh, you've been very patient and responsive to mm-hmm. all the many needs. Um, I would like to sit down with you and go through, because we've been receiving a number of uh, similar concerns from very different constituents. And the more that we continue to hear from them about the same issues, uh, it does seem to me that that this is perhaps a more universal concern that we would want to address. And um, you know, I, one thing that I'm very clear on is Um, Unfortunately, the citizenry is not uh, equipped to be part of a planning process. Even though we've extended the offer and we've held numerous meetings, they tend to not be there at the early stages. And once it hits them in their face is when they're going to be responsive. And we do our best to um, encourage them to participate. But at this point... um, There are some concerns that I'd like to address with you. But in doing that, what I'd like to understand, if possible, knowing that route changes won't be made or considered or extension of removal of stops or extension of service hours, um, what I'd like to understand, if possible, by the time we get there, is how are you doing with your budget? Mm -hmm. Right? And I think this goes to Ms. Gray's question about paid ridership. Um, I think that this goes to determining the effectiveness of the change. And if there are some things that we can tweak, what is the impact going to be on the GRTC operating budget? How much room do you have? What flexibility do you have to make changes? Mm -hmm. And if you don't have any room, then what is the consideration that is necessary? from the city contribution or otherwise. I do know that the city contribution, again, in next fiscal year went up. Yes, it did. Largely due to the free passes uh, to RPS students. So um, if you can be prepared for that, I don't know from my colleagues what a reasonable timeline is. You know, how much data do you need to to know whether you're within budget? I would think 
after the first quarter, yes. you'd have a pretty good sense of where things stand. Um, secondly, as it relates to um, hours of service, and I don't know if I'm hours of service. What I'd like to better understand is ADA compliance because we've got an hours of service issue with the Maymont Randolph neighborhood mm -hmm. where it is being fully eliminated after 7 p.m. And I, I think it's having an adverse impact, um, particularly with our elderly and disabled. And I don't know if we're meeting ADA goals with that regard. Um, and then furthermore, um, being that these are uh, neighborhoods that um, Randolph, particularly with the history of redevelopment, um, whether it's meeting Title IX requirements. So th those are some questions that I would love to um, have reviewed after the first quarter so that when you get to the fall, we can better address it. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you uh, very much. We really appreciate your time, uh, Mr. Jones. Just, just real quick, uh, Ms. Oh, Pace, thank you for uh, this presentation, and, and really thank you for all the work that you do. Um, you work tirelessly to make sure that council is uh, informed uh, on everything that's going on, and I just want, want you to know I appreciate that. Uh, I'll just, just share one piece. Love the rollout. Love how everything went. Uh, but just want to make sure that you know, that as, as we move down the road that we look at how we improve routes on the south side, how we improve those stops. And I'm not saying we're going to have these wonderful structures that you have going down uh, Broad Street, but just, just basic things. I don't know whether it's a bench. I don't know whether it's, uh, 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 you know, hopefully a trash can at each stop uh, to try and cut down on some of the litter uh, that takes place around them. But, uh, but again, just to see that level of uh, uh, of effort given to uh, you know some of these routes on the south side, and then to just make sure that, uh, and, and I'll put this in, just as we try to make uh, the South Side Community Center uh, kind of a hub with within the Ninth District, that we have uh, uh, routes that go by that that building because Office Community Wealth Building they have a satellite office out of there. Uh, and just a lot of great programming that's going on. And so I want to make sure that uh, constituents on the south side, whether they're in the 5th, the 6th, the 8th, the ninth, uh, that they're able to to get there, especially as we expand uh, services at that place. So thank you again for your effort. Very good. Thank you. All right. Any further comments? Thank you very much for your, your time and your efforts in keeping us informed. Uh, Next presentation. Mr. Oh, President. I'm sorry, Ms. Robertson. No problem. Um, I just want to join my colleagues as well and thank you uh, for all of the efforts. Um, I know it's been uh, trying at times to, to get to the place that, but, you know, all of the work that has been done, I think, is the success of that is demonstrated in how effective the rollout actually uh, came about, and I know that took up quite a bit of effort on you all's part to achieve that, and hopefully uh, much success in the continuation of the ridership as well as the effectiveness of the operation. And one question, and that is in regards to the 
transfer station that still exists uh, um, over here on 9th, 9th Street. Yes, ma'am. Um, as to the future plans as it relates to that site, uh, there still um, remains a lot of uh, concerns as it relates to just the quality of the site, the lack of accessibility to amenities that riders have been asking for. I know with the new system, a lot of the ridership will not be generated from that location, but is the plan to take that off-site completely or to do any additional improvements to that site? There are two answers to that question. The first is the short term, which is working with the city of Richmond collaboratively on the amenities that could be installed at the temporary transfer plaza, including shelters that have a little bit more shelter on each side, as opposed to what we have today, which are uh, a little bit more modular. Uh, it's two round benches, and there's technically a cover, but in, in a windy rain, you're still going to get wet. Mm -hmm. So what we've heard from the community so far is that they really want more sides to the shelter, but also security to make sure that there aren't any hiding spots where they might feel uncomfortable. So that's the short term, looking at those amenities and working with the city on making those happen, not just at the temporary transfer plaza, but in other places around the network that need and, and warrant that level of amenity. The longer answer is certainly subject to the City of Richmond's current process. Uh, the RFP that was put out uh, by the City of Richmond for the development of the entire area uh, north of this location did include reference to a permanent home for a transfer station. So we will look forward to collaborating on that longer term solution. Um, the other question that I have is in relationship to the programming uh, for the students to be able to ride and what should we expect and when will we be able to get a better insight as to how that's going to be rolled out. The question for the audience's benefit is about the Richmond Public Schools PASS program, uh, which was approved by City Council and with support from Richmond Public Schools. So GRTC will be going to every Richmond Public School high school at the beginning of the new semester, the new school year. It will be kind of like the old school photo day. Whenever the photo company would come, they would take your picture, you would get to see it. And in this case, we'll take your picture. Uh, it is an opt-in program, meaning that we do require a guardian consent for you to opt in to the program. So we would need that form to fully process you on site. Once we take your picture, we're processing it on the computer. It should take just a few minutes. We'll print it out, and the student can take it with them right then and there, and they can start riding. We're working with RPS on more of the specifics about ensuring that the students are aware of overall GRTC rules of riding, which apply to all riders. And then we need to best understand if there is an issue that falls under RPS jurisdiction to discipline, that we handle it in the way that RPS would like us to. So we're in conversations now in the weeds on those items to make sure that we've got everything lined up perfectly so that this is a, a comfortable and a positive experience for these kids because this is not just something that will get them to and from school, but will help them learn an extremely important skill that will enable them to get to and from a job or an internship or just out of their own neighborhood to explore other parts of the city. 
So we want this to be as successful as it can be. We already sent home a flyer uh, to, with every student to take to their guardian before they went on summer break. So everyone's been put on notice that they're getting this program if they wish to opt in. And this applies to grades 9 through 12 currently for any of the Richmond Public High School students. Okay. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Mr. President. Yes. Uh, I appreciate that, Ms. Robertson. Uh, this this item, and I, I want to, let's see, I'm sorry, we have another comment. This item has gone on for almost 39 minutes, and we were slated for 15. So I would ask that if we could take other comments, questions offline, unless they're very brief with no follow-up. Is that acceptable to everyone? Okay, thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. Absolutely. Mr. Artsy. Uh, this presentation, including questions, are supposed to be 15 minutes. So let me here. I'm sorry, Mr. Artsy, if that eats into your time. Um, but I'm, I'm sure you'll accommodate us and yourself the best you can. I, I, I have a clock right here, so I'll, I'll be real mindful of the time. Okay, <laughs> great. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Great. Um, Good evening. Uh, my name is Orlando Artsy. I'm the interim CEO at Richmond Redevelopment and Housing Authority. Uh, I assumed that role on January 24th of this year following the resignation of uh, Mr. Samanoff. I appreciate the opportunity to uh, share with the board some of the work that RHA has been carrying out over the last five months or so. And with me this evening is Marcia Davis, uh, who is our Chief Real Estate Development Officer. The first area I want to cover is around property uh, maintenance and asset management. Uh, we have been focusing a great deal on issues related to uh, heat loss in uh, apartments in public housing uh, communities. Uh, also, our current redevelopment uh, initiatives, as well as our plan redevelopment initiatives that we are looking to undertake over the, uh, the coming year. So, first, moving to uh, property maintenance and asset management. The first is around the status of heat repairs. Uh, at the end of January, we had a total of 411 apartments that were suffering some level of heat loss, either complete heat loss, that was the situation at Creighton Court with 78 uh, apartments, and then in addition to that, there were 333 apartments uh, that were uh, spread out throughout public housing communities where one or more uh, radiators have not been, uh, been functioning. Uh, since then, uh, we have installed and completed electric baseboard heating installation in all of those 78 apartments at uh, Creighton Court. The feedback we've received from uh, residents in those apartments has been very positive. And then we have also uh, completed uh, radiator repairs in 312 of the 333 apartments. We hope to finish the remaining 20 apartments or so in the next 
uh, six weeks. All right. We also have undertaken uh, some very significant operational uh, changes. Um, one is, uh, I think that there was sometimes uh, an attitude or approach at the housing authority that uh, providing electric space heaters to residents was a, uh, a solution uh, to the problem, and it certainly was a temporary one, but what was really needed is being able to uh, move to a situation where the radiator problems and the heating problems are permanently resolved and restoring permanent heat to those apartments. So all maintenance staff have now been trained on uh, radiator maintenance. We're going to train them again before the start of the uh, of the heating season uh, in, uh, in October. Uh, also, we have revised our communication procedures for letting property management uh, supervisors as well as RHA senior staff, uh, including elected uh, officials, about more systemic uh, problems that uh, could be uh, going on so that the appropriate action can be, uh, can be taken. Um, we're going to begin inspection of all radiators at RHA public housing communities in late July, so we have a really good sense in advance of where we may have problems before the heating season uh, begins. And we also have undertaken an education program for residents on the most effective way of reporting uh, maintenance complaints to uh, RRHA. Okay, next slide. Um, as I think um, the council is aware, uh, RHA receives funding to make capital improvements from uh, the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. It's the only source that we have available to be able to make those repairs. I wanted to share this graph with you because what it shows is that for the 10-year period from 2007 to 2017, Congress has reduced that funding from a little bit less than $8 million in 2007 to a little bit less than $7 million in 2017. This does not account for uh, any inflation uh, during that uh, during that 10-year period. Next slide, please. So that makes it much more critical. And, and frankly, nobody's expecting this funding to increase uh, in, the, in the coming years. So that makes it very critical for RHA to target those capital funds uh, to health and safety-related uh, issues. Uh, we have uh, selected an engineering firm called KCI Technologies to help us assess the existing uh, building systems and be able to prioritize improvements at RHA properties. We also have created an internal working group in order to be able to make timely decisions on uh, scopes of work, uh, procurement, and vendor uh, performance. 
And then also we are restructuring our uh, asset management function so that we will have a director of facilities uh, management. RHA has not had uh, that position previously. Um, the next item is another chart which uh, shows uh, our anticipated capital funding over the next 20 years. So to make it as, um, in the short time, to make it as simple as possible, those red bars that are uh, below the center line indicate the funding gap between the funding that we're anticipating to receive from HUD and the actual capital improvements that are needed at RHA properties based on capital uh, improvement studies that have been done uh, by the agency. And so what I, I think a, a good takeaway from this is that the current system that we have where we rely on HUD to be able to make capital repairs uh, is really broken. And we're going to have and will continue to have significant gaps in the type of repairs that are needed and how much money is needed to make those repairs and uh, the funding that is going to be available from, uh, uh, from HUD. So at the present time, HUD, uh, RHA is not allowed to borrow money for rehabilitation or redevelopment without HUD's approval. When I go out and, and talk to groups and organizations, I ask them, so how many, how many apartments does RHA own in the city of Richmond? And different folks will come up with different numbers. And the answer is zero. RHA does not own any public housing. It is all owned by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And we manage those properties for uh, RHA. So any kind of significant renovation, which is really what is needed at these properties, uh, has to be approved by HUD. And there are programs that HUD has created, uh, such as Section 18 and the Rental Assistance Demonstration, which provide a way, it's a kind of platform, to redevelop uh, public housing. With that, <clears throat> let me move to the, the first uh, major redevelopment that is underway, and that is uh, Fay Towers. Uh, it is an existing 200 and uh, unit public housing uh, senior complex. It uh, received approval from HUD in 2012 to undergo a conversion under the Rental Assistance Demonstration Program. It was one of the first in the country. Uh, in 2013, RHA selected CPDC to serve as the development uh, partner <clears throat> uh, in the redevelopment of uh, Fay Towers, and then in 2015, uh, HUD allowed us to uh, provide and transfer assistance from Fay Towers to three new de development phases. So let me just take a minute to go over where we are in each of those uh, in each of those phases. The first phase has been uh, completed. <clears throat> this is uh, Highland Park Senior uh, Apartments. Uh, it was, uh, it's a total of 77 apartments for residents of uh, Fay Towers. 
The rehab was completed in October of uh, 2016, and then residents from uh, Fay moved to that property in January of, uh, of 2017. So the first phase has been completed. <clears throat> the second phase, which is um, the uh, Baker School, it's a total of 50 uh, apartments. It's the rehabilitation of former uh, school building. We're scheduled to complete the financial closing in August of, uh, of this year and uh, with the uh, rehabilitation beginning in September and construction completed in uh, November of 2019. Next slide. The third phase <clears throat> is the Jackson Ward uh, apartments. This would be 72 apartments for uh, seniors, all, all of them from Fay Towers. Property is, a, this is a new construction development, um, which would be located on Duval, East Duval Street. Uh, we <clears throat> actually completed the uh, closing um, last month, uh, and we're expecting to start construction uh, later this month with construction ending in October of uh, 2019. So one of the things that we, I think, we skip a, okay. I think, there we go, all right. So one of the things, the other um, uh, redevelopment effort that uh, we wanted to discuss tonight is the uh, Creighton Court redevelopment. Sometimes it is called uh, uh, Churchill North. Uh, the key here for, for RHA is to be able to provide a range of housing choices for uh, Creighton Court resident. Um, all of the development at this stage is planned off-site. Uh, uh, most of it uh, at the Armstrong School, which at the end when it's all the phases are completed, it will include a total of 256 apartments and homes. Uh, the infrastructure at the, arms, at the former Armstrong School has been completed, and there are four phases of development uh, involving both family as well as senior uh, apartments, and project-based vouchers have been set aside for residents of Creighton Court so that they can move into the, what is the, the, the redeveloped uh, Armstrong uh, Armstrong site. There's also a home ownership phase that includes a total of 36 uh, homes that would be uh, uh, targeted to low and moderate income uh, families. Next. In addition to the actual on-site development, RHA has beginning in 2016 issued a total of 107 project-based vouchers uh, to eight different multifamily developments located in the city of Richmond, Henrico, and Chesterfield. Those developments were selected utilizing a, 
criteria, which included uh, proximity to pl- uh, public uh, transit jobs as well as, uh, as shopping. Uh, there's a very important people plan that is part of it, which is to assist uh, Creighton Court residents in the successful transition of those housing opportunities. Next one. Okay. Uh, another development that is currently underway is the completion of the last phase of the Highland Grove uh, development area. This is a home ownership effort that will include 146 single family as well as townhome units. Master planning has been completed. Uh, RHA is looking for a development uh, partner, and then we are uh, currently uh, meeting with RHA and, and the city to complete a, uh, a CUP. Uh, that first meeting is scheduled for, uh, for July 19th. Another uh, major effort that's underway is the disposition of, of uh, single-family homes uh, that uh, RHA uh, had previously owned. So far, we've disposed of 66 uh, single-family homes to uh, low-income families. We've been working with uh, Project Homes and Habitat for Humanity to complete those efforts. Next phase. Um, the the um, the coming this year uh, is a major redevelopment effort by RHA, which will involve the uh, the uh, rehabilitation of 553 apartments. These are uh, typically known as our our smaller uh, scattered site. Uh, properties they include both senior as well as uh, family uh, apartments. Uh, we have received approval from HUD to move ahead with those uh, uh, with that those rehabilitations, and we are moving ahead through the planning process and uh, expecting to complete that process in September two thousand and eighteen. Um, the, the next and last development uh, that is under, in the planning stages is the redevelopment of our large public housing uh, communities. Uh, we have been working with HUD's recapitalization office over the last six months or so uh, to create a way of being able to uh, finance the redevelopment of the the big six. That framework calls for a combination of redevelopment, rehabilitation, and utilization of tenant protection vouchers. We'll keep on working with residents and other stakeholders during the planning process, and we are submitting applications to HUD for the approval of that transfer later this uh, this year. Um, I added an appendix that shows the various redevelopment phases for Creighton Court if there were any questions. So, if, if there. Thank you, Mr. Artsy. We are at 
17 minutes, uh, almost 18. Thank you here. I'm not, uh, I just want to remind members of that if there are any questions or if we could possibly take those offline, uh, I would appreciate it as I think other members would since it's 715. Uh, but thank you, Mr. Artsy. I know this is not, uh, and Ms. Davis for, uh, for your work. I know this is not, not easy. And uh, I know several districts are affected by uh, public housing, both as residents and uh, for the, the greater community. I know it's a, a very difficult job, and uh, thank you for that, uh, that presentation. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Azulesto, I was just letting members know that this was supposed to be 15 minutes. If we were up to 18, if you could take your questions offline or if you just had maybe one quick one. Um, it is a, a quick one, but okay. I think it would, would be important for all council members to understand. Um, and that specifically, uh, if you could give us more details about the RAD program. Mm -hmm. um, I know that when TK Samanoth was heading RRHA, the difference between what RRHA got for maintenance funding versus what a private entity got for maintenance funding was a big issue. But um, we have in the 5th District nearly all of the RRHA properties are being converted to RAD. And to be honest, I knew about Stonewall, but now that I'm hearing about Idlewood, like I'm not aware that every property was being converted or being sought to conversion. So I think it's very important for us to get a better understanding mm -hmm. of what that looks like from management, sure. what that does as it relates to the impact on the residents. Mm -hmm. And as of right now, I don't have any answers, and I'm getting inquiries from a number of citizens that are in the district. Right. And just, just for magnitude's sake, mm -hmm. I would like to point out that this affects all of the randolph Idlewood properties. This affects Stonewall, Fox Manor, Bainbridge, Stovall, Lombardi mm. 700 building. So we're talking about several hundred residents that are being affected that mm -hmm. until your report here, I didn't know the full details. So if you could get us more information on RAD, while, yes, there's a big initiative on the the six major housing uh, mm -hmm. projects, you know, we're talking 300 residents that are being affected, and, and I need more details. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be happy to do that. Uh, Ms. Robertson. Uh, I appreciate the time factor, Mr. President. I think that we probably need to um, think a little bit more about the presentations of these types of presentations because of the magnitude of information and you know it's, this may be the only time that we get an opportunity to ask these kind of questions and follow up but I will do an offline follow up but I, I am concerned uh, as it relates to the slide that shows the extreme negative investment of funds for capital improvement mm -hmm. and even though I understand the different redevelopment strategies that are being used uh, for the housings that you manage. Mm -hmm. um, I am uh, very along by the fact that there is absolutely limited 
funding that's coming from the federal government mm-hmm. for maintenance. Right. And, you know, the problems that we had this year and the impact that it had on your staff sure. and the media uh, 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 issues that you had to deal with as a result of the inadequacy and in being able to provide the quality of living standards that one should expect to live in. But you've made it very clear to us now that with the funding that you are receiving and that is anticipated to be received, you're not in the position to make the kinds of improvements that needs to be met. And I think that's a larger conversation, Mr. President, that we need to seriously have because, you know, I still remember some of the burning comments that have been made uh, last year, and understandably so. I mean, when people don't have heat in their units. But we also have to face the reality that if this is all that the federal government is doing for us to hang this uh, charge around the management agency and expect them to deliver the quality of housing environment and not be uh, accountable to the information that they provide us, us, then we're setting ourselves up for a situation that I think we need to have a more robust dialogue about. And I just want to make sure that we point that out. I, I would agree with that. And I think that, you know, I'd be happy to look at uh, prioritizing these presentations so that we can limit the number of them as well as, uh, you know, the ones where we can maybe go to committee. And this isn't one of them. To hear me loud and clear, this isn't one of them. But uh, we had an organizational development committee meeting that went two months ago, I think, four to eight, nine o'clock. And we just, we don't want that. And maybe this isn't the forum to have this, that, this discussion. Mm-hmm. But I'm open to any suggestions that where we can not have three council meetings a month, which essentially is what we end up having. Uh, yes, uh, Ms. Gray and then Vice President Newbill. I just, um, in the RAD conversation, the requested information, I understand the um, implications of having the construction, which is good. But I do want to um, get an update on internal operating procedures because mm-hmm. I have gotten complaints from residents within Fay Towers and other communities that they're n- the welfare checks that are supposed to take place where you, residents, if they don't flip certain thing on their door to let everybody know they're okay, no one's going to check on them. And it's um, there have been some extreme cases where um, individuals have expired and it wasn't until they were putting out an odor into the rest of the building that they were discovered as Mm -hmm. having been expired. So if you can let me know um, management-wise what Mm -hmm. is being done to prevent that from ever happening again and to um, make sure that the management procedures are intact and and being checked um, by outside management if, if i if this may be helpful i'm happy to meet with 
any member of council individually to talk about RAD or any operational you know, procedures, I can follow up with each uh, council member and uh, schedule time to be able to do that. Be happy to do that. Thank you. That'd be, that'd be great. And while I know that RAD is not the answer to everything, I have been involved in, in a couple of those conversions uh, in Newport News and in the city of Franklin, which converted their entire portfolio to RAD. Uh, it is bringing... Uh, resources that otherwise wouldn't be available, but we can have that side conversation. Uh, Ms. Yes. Uh, Dr. Newbill. And I'll be brief. I want to say first thank you, um, Orlando and Marcia, for your work um, over the last few months. Um, I know it's been a challenge, but uh, you have kept people at the forefront, and I'm really appreciative of that and all of these efforts. Um, I do agree with uh, Councilwoman Robertson, the fact that we are looking at significant uh, dollars necessary for maintenance for me suggests that we really need to have a meeting. Uh, that certainly with the individual council members, but we're going to have to figure this out. I visited folks whose uh, heating systems were not working, and you all were doing an incredible job trying to speedily respond, but we have an old infrastructure throughout the system. And so um, I'd look forward to um, further discussion, the implications of the dollars, as well as the other questions that have come up. But I suspect they'll probably be both individual and group uh, for us all. So thank you and look forward to more discussion there. Great. Thank you, Mr. Archie. Thank you. Um, Let's see. We are – I've made a – executive decision here to uh, take off the agenda the financial consulting uh, hiring as well as uh, the closed session Uh, so we'll try and expedite this a little bit Uh, let's go with Mr. Um, Downing here since this is a three minute presentation Good afternoon. Lee down the DCO for Economic Development and Planning. Uh, what I had on schedule is a brief update on the code enforcement, our really zoning issues that we talked about last Monday. So last week we, reserved, we received 13 specific addresses as I walked out and requested. Um, just an update on those, 12 of the 13 have been visited to date. Um, one is scheduled for later this week because it's going to involve a more comprehensive team approach. Of the 12 we visited thus far, four resulted in notice of violation or pending notice of violation. Five were referred to the health department. Um, One is being worked by DPW. One we need to continue to monitor. And one um, location, either the problem was solved before we got there or it's the wrong location, we'll have to follow up. So that's the results of the 13 we received last week. One other update, we're working to build a team that will work as requested in more of the off hours because some of these involve cooking and things like that, and we're going to be working on a comprehensive team to look outside of the normal nine to five hours. But that's, that's the result of last week's conversation. 
Thank you, Mr. Downey. And I would ask here if you could possibly follow up with Councilors Jones and Trammell, I think. I, I caught them before the meeting. Okay. So they've got right. it. Right. Any questions of Mr. Downey? No. If there are any more addresses, we've created a new login sheet, so let me know. Great. Thank you. Ms. Gray? I'm just wondering about, I don't have a problem getting response from code enforcement coming out and issuing the violations. It's the follow-up and actually getting the action after that. So what is the timeline? Is there a, well, it depends on is the there event. a backlog? It, and if you have any specifics, we can definitely follow up. But normally, for example, now these are zoning. These are not code. Um, what we will do is set an inspection date, and then when we're out there, we set a follow-up date. So if some of these aren't being done, if I have some specifics, I can look into them. But I've whenever we go out, we do have a follow-up. I've got zoning ones, too. So I'll okay. If you let me know. Okay. Like I said, these, I got these, I, we got these 13 and right. 12 have been done. So we'll continue to use this login sheet and follow up. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Two minutes and 45 seconds here. That's wonderful. We, uh, we appreciate that. Uh, Vice President Newbill. Yes, Mr. Downey, I just wanted to say thank you for the timely response. Um, those addresses, I think, were provided probably within the next day or so after our last meeting. And you committed and did get back with us. And so I thank you for Councilman Jones and Trammell. And I know that there will be more follow-up and more of a strategic plan, but I appreciate that responsiveness. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Ms. Gray. Uh, is there an opportunity to ask a quick question of someone from the CAO's office or finance? Is it on the agenda? No. I mean, I'm just asking. But here, it's right? timely. So I take it the answer to that is no. No. Okay. It's not on the agenda. Uh, without objection here, if we could do that for just... It's a quick question. I Can just we have a time limit on that? It's a one-minute question. It okay. might take two minutes Wonderful. to answer. I didn't hear an objection, so please go ahead. So my question is, I've been to several restaurants within the city, and everywhere I went, people were asking when they were going to get notice and whether or not they were supposed to be charging more in the taxes. So... I went further to ask other restaurants if they had gotten any notification. They said no. Um, but I informed them that the tax increase would take effect July 1. Um, I asked someone again today. I've been to three different restaurants within the city. Um, they said they hadn't received any notification about the 1.5% tax increase. And then I went further to ask if they had received information about when they're submitting taxes and the 1.5% um, relief for the credit card fees, and they hadn't gotten any communication on that either. So just a little, because not everybody's so plugged in to know that no, they're they supposed aren't. to change their tax okay. stuff. Okay, so they, I guess since they're, they don't know. I mean, they're, they were looking for notice from the city. It looks like, are they not collecting it? or? I mean, I've only talked to about half a dozen, 
in the past yeah. couple of days, and they came and asked me initially. They were asking, are we, are, is this happening? What are we, you know, we haven't gotten any communication. So I was just wondering okay. how they were supposed to, the ones who aren't paying attention, the small guys who, you know, are calculating their own taxes and stuff. City one from the administration, can you? address that issue? Yeah, how, how are people being notified or? of both issues with respect okay. to meals right. taxes? Good evening, Chelsea Bennett, Senior Policy Advisor to the CAO. Uh, Councilman Gray, I've heard your concerns and the questions that you have, and uh, we will follow up with you with those answers about how uh, restaurateurs have been informed of uh, the increase of 1.5% in meals tax, and so I hope to have that information to you tomorrow. Okay. And okay. not just the Let's increase, but could, also the um, tax. The reimbursement for re the credit the cards. Reduction, the one and a half percent that's supposed to take effect in this budget. Okay, so I have two items, how they were informed about the 1.5% increase as well as the reimbursement that was discussed and approved on the budget. Is that correct? Or why they weren't informed. We don't know. I mean, everyone that I've spoken with has said they weren't informed of the change. Okay. Well, I can't speak to that, but I will definitely get the answers to your question tomorrow. Thank okay. You. Thank you. And if, thank you. If uh, all council members could be copied on that Absolutely. correspondence, thank you very much. Um, that'd be great. Okay. Thank you, Ms. Gray. That was under three, three minutes. minutes. Great. Wonderful. <laughs> uh, Councillor. Um, Excuse me, uh, Larson is not here this evening, but she had requested this uh, third-party bulk and brush uh, leaf collection. And so um, we did have some questions about that uh, that she had forwarded to me and I think uh, other members of, I think the vice president as well. So um, if we could, I guess, ask those questions. Or if there's a there's a presentation there, I believe, no, Mr. Sir. Vincent. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. I mean, I can ask these questions. When uh, I mean, uh, she understood that the or she was unable to be here this evening, and she asked me, uh, or I was asked to submit these questions uh, along with the vice president. Uh, how much money was spent on this audit? Do we know that? I mean, if you can't answer the question right now, we, if you can get back to us. Good afternoon. Bobby Vincent, Director of Public Works. Your question was how much was spent on the audit or how much Sorry. was spent on the... Um, well, on the report. On I the report? might be another... Okay. The, we can certainly review. get that information for you. Oh, right. We'll, we'll get everybody the questions, and it's uh, just... A, Councilor Larson wanted to make sure that somebody was going to ask these questions. So, and okay. I figured if everybody got the questions, it would just be chaos. So, I'm going to transmit these uh, on her behalf. Did we receive? We council received the complete copy of the of the review. Yes, sir. Okay. And uh, okay. Were there any recommendations from this third party? I don't think those were in the report itself no sir okay so they so they did not give us any recommendations no sir okay 
uh, in previous discussions about the LEAF program, putting out an additional RFP to receive new and additional contractors were discussed. Uh, what is the status of these RFPs and can we expect additional contractors this year? Uh, we will be putting it back out on the street again for bid um, okay. this year for competitive bid. Last year we only received one um, bidder and that was the re okay. reason why we utilized that one contractor. But that one contractor um, was able to take care of um, the vast majority of those people putting in requests, which we had roughly 1,700 um, individuals making requests uh, for leaf collection. Okay, so that wouldn't be knowable at this point as to whether we're going to have more than one bidder at this time. That's correct. Can you give us a date? Where Did you say they were already out? No, sir. There, it has not been placed out for bid. Okay. Um, at this time, we do plan on putting it out for bid within the next 60 days. Okay, within the next 60 days. Okay, uh, what changes will be made to the payment process for the on-demand leave program? Um, at this point in time, the um, major change would be people will be able to um, uh, um, place their requests and make their payments online. Um, last year, we did not have the opportunity nor the time to be able to um, put in for an online um, payment system so individuals had to pay in person um, or with check. This year they should be able to make their payments online. And uh, when can we expect uh, to see that when will citizens be able to pay online? Uh, we're looking at um, we should have that done within the next 90 days. Okay. What's the day? I'm sorry. I want to make sure I'm right. This is July First. 7 plus. Yes, next 90 days. Okay, so that would be by early October. Yes, sir. Okay, great. And would the, uh, let's see, uh, several 4th District neighborhoods have asked if, BT, if DPW will work with them to do their on-demand pickup in a condensed period of time in effort to efficiently remove leaves from the neighborhood, will the city be able to accommodate those requests? If they put the bags out, yes, sir. Okay. So this might take some coordination amongst neighborhoods to make this happen, or neighbors? Yes, sir. The only okay. thing they have to do is put their bags out and we can pick them up. Okay. Uh, we've received increased reports of clogged dish ditches, clogged stormwater drains, and road failures. Can the administration provide council an analysis on how the change in the LEAF program is, is impacting infrastructure? Um, at this point in time, I don't think there's been any significant increase over the prior years. Um, people have to make sure that they do their part within the public right away, and then we can do ours. Okay. So you didn't see any, you have not received increased reports of, of ditches or stormwater drains? We have received reports, but I think they've pretty much been on par with what we've seen in the past. Um, in the past. Yes, okay. sir. Okay. All right. Um, Let's see. Those were the questions that uh, that Councilor uh, uh, Larson had submitted to me. Are there any other questions regarding this program? Yes, Ms. Robertson. How many questions did you ask me? I asked the same number. I asked six, <laughs> but uh, this presentation has, I think, 15 minutes, so feel free to, we're at minute five. So I, can, I got 15 minutes? <laughs> Right, we will get these in a written form. But you don't have any questions, Ms. Robertson? I wouldn't know. Okay, thank you for that good-hearted comment. Uh, any other questions? All right, I think that about, uh, about covered it. All right, wonderful.
Thank you. Uh, let's see. It looks like we're now that we've uh, we're not discussing the consultant hiring or having a closed session. It looks like that the business of this committee is done, and we are adjourned. Thank you.